Thank you. You can be seated. If you got your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. It was this verse that I started out in the ministry when I was 20 years old. And I'll get to that in just a minute. But it's a verse that's very familiar to you that have ever been in church at any number of, for any number of years. And Paul instructs Timothy in this verse, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Last week, if you remember, hopefully you did, that I stated that every Christian should be putting aside certain things in their life that they need to make practice in their life so that the unbeliever will see something different through their lives. And those two things were to get rid of false teachings, the things that are not true, and then to begin to train yourself to be godly. And so with this in mind, Paul now instructs Timothy to let no one despise you for your youth. Despise here means to look down upon, to scorn, or to show contempt for. So what Paul is instructing Timothy here means don't let anyone look down upon you. Don't look any, let anybody scorn you. Don't any, let anybody look to you with any type of contempt just because you are young. Now, there are two ways to interpret this for the youth. Now, when I was young, when I was 20 years old in the ministry, it was a whole different meaning than what it is today. But it says, for your youth, Timothy could have very well been a young person. Could have been in his late teens, early 20s. The NIV says, because you are young. However, it could also mean that he was young in the ministry. Because during that time period, anyone who was under the age of 40 was considered to be young in that day. So if all of you in this room are under the age of 40, you are still young. And if you are over 40, or well over 40, anybody who is under 40 is really young, correct? Because in the world's mind, we are really old. Now, none of us consider ourselves old, at least not yet. So, anyone under 40 could be young. And so Timothy could very well have been in his late 30s. And because there were elders and, and other pastors on the, in the church and on the board, they looked down upon Timothy, feeling like Timothy was not ready for the ministry just yet. And so, many of us can relate to that today. It may be that we're young in age, or it may be that we are inexperienced in the job position where we're at. We all need to be trained. When I was 20, like I mentioned, I started in the ministry. Now, at 14, I had the privilege of being a counselor 
for an evangelist who was coming to town. His name was Jack Van Impey. Some of you may have heard him. He's still on television today. Uh, and they were coming to town. And normally they would use teenagers to uh, counsel teenagers, other teenagers, when they would come forward at the meeting. And you had to be, first of all, recommended by two pastors in the, in the area. And then you were supposed to have a minimum, be a minimum of 14, I mean uh, 16. And so I, found, I got two pastors that said, you need to have Dave in there at 14. Uh, and I was very glad that I was chosen to be a counselor because I went, after I went through that process. At 16, I was put in charge of a bus route for our church. It was back in the day when buses would go out and, and go to communities and pick up children and bring them to church. And uh, I started a bus route. I went out to a trailer park that was way outside of town. And I started by just being friendly with the kids and would go and I'd play uh, street ball with them and basketball with them and, and, or, and gain their trust and then say, listen, I'm going to bring, a, bring an, I'm on a bus on Sunday. Would you like, you know, when I always ask their parents, would it be possible for them to come to church with me? And I grew a bus route at 16. At 21, actually at 20, I started working for my dad at his church during the summertime because there's nobody really hired anybody during the summertime for college students. And so for 10 weeks that I was off during the summer, uh, I was working at the church as, as a temporary youth pastor. At 21, in my bus route when I was at home, I started driving the bus. I know some of you have driven buses before in your lifetime. But can you imagine today a 21-year-old behind a wheel of a 66-passenger bus? Pretty scary. Uh, and some of you know how I drive, and that even makes it more scary. But at that, and then at 22, I became a full-time youth pastor. And I have been a full-time youth pastor, and I thank God and give God the glory to this day. I love it. I love working with young people. I love to see their lives changed. But a lot of that process that I went through was due largely to the fact that I was being mentored by older people, helping me, guiding me, instructing me as to what I want to do and need to do. And did I make a lot of mistakes? Yes. And as I do with most of my mistakes, I learn from my mistakes. Because every leader needs to have some sort of mentor to help them, to guide them, and to instruct them. Most mentors in your life are going to be older than you. But understand there's going to be times when your mentor may be younger than you. And that's okay as well. The only, what you're only concerned about when there's somebody younger than you is if they have proven themselves first. As the oldest in my family... And all of you, if you're a firstborn, raise your hand. Firstborn? Okay, good. You will, you will relate to this. It took us a lot longer to gain our parents' trust than it did for our younger siblings. There was a time I was, I was 12 years of age, just turned 12, and my dad was going to start giving me more responsibilities around the house. And one of those responsibilities was to mow the yard. And we were the first ones in our neighborhood to have a riding lawnmower. It was awesome. That thing putted around so slow that, that, you know, a snail was going up beside me and beating me. It was that slow. 
but I thought it was the greatest piece of machinery out there. And my dad had, I had watched my dad, I had ridden on it with my dad, and he finally gave me that opportunity. And I went out and I mowed the yard, and I was so proud of myself. Two weeks later, when it needed to be mowed again, my younger brother was out there on the mower mowing the yard, and he was 13 months younger than me. What do you think my first thought was out of my mouth? That's not fair. I had to wait until I was 12. He got to do it two weeks after that. My dad said, yes, son, but you earned my trust. You set the example first so that your brothers can follow you. We do that still today as adults, don't we? We think it's not fair that someone younger than us has advanced more quickly in the company that we've been with for years. Because we believe that they have to prove themselves first in order to get ahead. Some people advance more quickly than others. Some people learn the process faster than others, and that's why they advance more quickly. If you remember the disciples, the disciples spent three and a half years with Jesus learning under Jesus and his teaching before they had the opportunity to lead. If you read the book of Daniel, this is where I'm at in my devotions right now, the book of Daniel, fascinating book. I love Daniel that corresponds with Revelation. But when Daniel was captured and his three friends were captured, the first three years of their captivity, they did absolutely nothing but learn of what, the, what they wanted, what the King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to teach them. For three years they were under his tutelage before they were even able to go into the king's service. And once they were in the king's service, if you remember the stories, Daniel interpreted a dream that no one else could interpret. God had given him that ability to do. And because of that, Daniel then superseded everybody else and became the, uh, the, the ruler of Babylon. And the free, three friends became sub-rulers in Babylon. And it was a remarkable story that gives that Daniel said, listen, it doesn't matter the young, how young you are, it's a matter of how you do the job and do it well. Joshua, if you look at Joshua, Joshua had it really bad. He's like some of us. His entire life, pretty much, was under Moses. And in fact, most scholars believe that Joshua was 75 to 80 years of age before he took over the reins for Moses after Moses passed away. I'm sure there were times in Joshua's life that he thought, am I ever going to have an opportunity to do something? Well, he did have the opportunity that Moses never had. He got to go to the promised land. Not only did he got to go to the promised land, he defeated everybody in the path in, in, uh, that he needed to do, that God had given him the instructions to do. Even though Joshua was older in years, he still had that opportunity to lead. And so today we come to this particular verse. We come to this particular verse because when we look at the, the, what Paul was trying to, to tell Timothy is because you lack experience, Timothy. And because you lack experience, I want you now to set the example. And he gave it to a specific group. 
He said, I want you to set the example to the believers. Why would he say that? Because non-believers don't care how you live your life for God. It doesn't matter to them. The believers understand, and so uh, Paul's instructing Timothy, listen, you do it. You set the example to the believers. Every young man who's called to the ministry, or anyone in a position of leadership or authority in the church, or in anyone else who has been given a position of authority even in the workplace, all of you will benefit greatly from what Paul is trying to teach Timothy here in this wonderful list of qualities. Because a lot of these qualities are lacking in young people even today. And they are also lacking in those that don't have experience. And so Paul starts out with two of them, speech and conduct. These first two are the behavior that you have that is outward. These are the behaviors that everyone can see. And then he gives them love, faith, and purity. These deal with the inward qualities of a person. Although, when you have these qualities inside of you, they will eventually come out in your actions as you live your life. And so over the next couple of weeks, I want to break these five things down for you. And Paul begins by setting, or in other words, be the example. The example here is from the Greek word tupos. And it means to set a pattern for another person to follow. To set another, a pattern for another person to follow. In other words, you are making an impact on someone else's lives that's going to leave an impression on their life. Back in the, in the ancient days of coin stamping, they would take a blank, what was known as a blank. There was nothing on either side of this potential coin. And they would take it, and they had molds that were made or dyes that were made. It had one, uh, a face on one side and, the, and something, another image on the back side, just like our coins do today. But what they would do is they would take this blank, and they would take it and heat it up. And then he would put it inside of the die or the mold, and then he'd take the other one and put it on top of that, and he'd take a very, hard, uh, very large hot hammer, I mean a very large heavy hammer, and he'd go and he'd bang down on it one time. And when he opened it up, that coin had the image of both sides instantaneously on there, and it made it very hard for it to be counterfeited. And that's the same thing Paul is trying to tell you here, that when you are setting the example for somebody else, you are going to stamp that image onto their lives. And so Paul is saying, this is what I want to stamp on your life, Timothy. Be an example. Be an example means that your life is going to be a model that is going to be used to impact or to make an impression for other people to follow. And so here's what I want you to start with. The most important one, speech. Speech. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. James chapter 3, and I'm going to begin in verse number 1 because there's something here that's very important that many people overlook when reading this particular passage. It says, not many of you should become teachers, 
For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That's for all pastors. All of us are going to be judged greater than the average person sitting in the pew. For we all stumble in many ways, he continues in verse 2. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect. He is a perfect man, also able to bridle his own body. If we put bits in the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. The average person speaks about 40,000 words every single day. So I want to ask you this morning, what is coming out of your mouth that you are saying every day? Because what we say that comes out of our mouth literally is coming out from the core of our being, our heart. I want to look at a few verses this morning. You don't have to turn to them, just listen to them. You can if you want to. The first one's found in Jeremiah 17, 9, where it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Luke chapter 6 and verse 45 says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasures produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Matthew 15 Beginning of verse 18 says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, your core, your being. And this defiles the person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Matthew 12, 34 says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. Matthew 15, 11 says, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Ephesians 4, 29 says, no, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is good for building up. 1 Peter 3, 10 says, for whosoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Proverbs 15, 4 says, a gentle tongue or kind words is a tree of life. It's like medicine to our soul. But perverseness or deceitful words, in it breaks our spirit. In other words, deceitful words, lying words, they will eventually hurt us. Proverbs 21, 23 says, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. How many of you teachers 
would only wish that some of your students would just shut up because the more they talk, the more they're going to get in trouble. Proverbs 4.24 says, put away from you crooked speech. Put devious talk far away from you. Get it out of your life. Solomon is telling you. Colossians 3.8 says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. James 1.26 tells us that if anyone thinks he's righteous, get this verse especially, if anyone thinks he's righteous and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religious is worthless. Worthless. We should know how do we speak properly. But if we know how to speak properly and we don't do it, the Bible calls it sin. James 4, 17 says this, Whosoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him it is sin. And so with all this in mind, this is how we should approach every single day, every single moment, every single hour. It's found in Psalms chapter 19 and verse number 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, if you're like me, you want to say that, you get up every morning and you say, Lord, let my words be pleasant to you. Let the meditation of my heart be pleasant to you. And then we get in our car. And I live right here on Northwest 3rd Avenue. Our church, we enter here like Northwest 9th Avenue every morning. And from those six blocks, I have probably encountered two or three, in the words, kind words of Susan A., stupid idiots who are on the road that should not be on the road. And all of a sudden, the way I wanted to start my day I've ruined it already. Lord, I, I pray you forgive me of that. Help me. Lord, you know, it would be easy if you would just help these other drivers to do what they're supposed to do. Then I wouldn't have to be thinking this way, right? Oh. But I want to give you a process this morning to try to help you in, in the way you speak. The first thing I want to give you is think of what you want to say. Think about what you want to say. This will let others know what's really inside of you. If you are like me, you fly off the handle. And I'll tell you that in just a minute. Because the second thing that you need to do is not think about what you want to say, but choose your words carefully. Your words will affect what other people and how other people perceive you. Have you ever said something, and the moment it leaves your mouth, you wish you could just grab it and take it back. I do it all the time. If you don't believe me, just ask my wife. She'll tell you. There was an incident, the very first one. Oh, I, it, it's, it's embedded in my memory to this day. And I can only say, by the grace of God, I'm thankful for forgiveness. Kathleen came up to me when she was a senior in high school and said, would you sponsor me for a youth uh, missions summer project? 
Sure, I'd be glad to. Will you do me a favor and come out and be a part of my softball team? You know, I thought she had two brothers. She has a dad who loves softball. I figured there was something in there that just was, you know, she could play too. So I put her on second base. And we were getting, oh, it was right over here at the, the what was that place? Boys Club. That's where we played our games at the time. And it was slow pitch softball, and I was, I get just emotional when it comes to this. And I had my clipboard in my hand, and all of a sudden, the ball was hit, and it, it went behind her, and she went out to grab the ball, and, you know, just my kind, wonderful words, she picked it up, and I said, don't throw it, you don't have an arm! That was bad enough. But I threw my clipboard down and broke it. At the same time. And I looked and turned around, and her mom was standing right behind me. All I can say is I thank God for forgiveness. Especially Irene that forgave me so that one day I could eventually marry her daughter. I wish at that moment I had never said what I said. But it was in my heart. And my heart wasn't right. And it just came blurting out. Do you use vulgar language? Psalm 141.3 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. We need that in our lives. Do you tell inappropriate jokes? Do you gossip? Proverbs 26.22 says, There is nothing so delicious as the taste of gossip. It melts in your mouth. You see, this is how it is for those who crave to gossip or to hear gossip. To them, it is delicious. To them, it is sweet to the mouth. But it's very dangerous. Because Solomon says in 16.28 of Proverbs, gossip is no good. It causes hard feelings and comes between friends. Do you take the Lord's name in vain? The Ten Commandments, the third Ten Commandment in Exodus 27 says, you shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Do you lie? I think we all do. Psalm 34, 13 tells us, keep your tongues from evil and your lips from speaking deceit or from speaking lies. Proverbs 6, beginning verse number 16 tells us, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are actually an abomination to him. What are these things? First one is haughty eyes or a superior look like I am better than you are. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. And a false witness who breathes out lies. And then the big one, the one who soars, sows discord among brothers. Do you argue? Do you slander others? Are you sincere when you speak? Your choice of words will tell others about 
what your education is, how smart you are. There are people that use really, really, really big, long words. And when they use those big, really, really, really long words, I've got to pull my phone out, and I've got to open up the dictionary, and I've got to put it in there to figure out what the word is. I've just been a very simple person my entire life. So if you've got to say a long word, and then you have to explain what that long word is, save the trouble. I don't really, you know, great, you know how to use big words. I want you to use something that I understand, because I am just a very simple person. And uh, I'm trying to make my word vocabulary bigger all the time, but sometimes I fail at it. And I know being around teenagers, they don't really want to hear the big words. They just want to have something that they can understand. But your words, you, you can tell somebody how smart they are by how they speak. Not only that, but you can find out how intelligent they are by how they speak. Because these people that know how to control themselves, that know how to, to, to put into practice to think before they speak and to choose their words carefully, these are people who are intelligent. They've already gone through this process over and over in their minds. They know what they want to say. They know how they want to say it. I would be horrible going on any news thing that had to do with a bait. Horrible. Because I don't think on the top of my head. Now, Jeff Harrison, on the other hand, would be brilliant. I, you know, so don't put me and Jeff together on a debate. I will lose. Because I, I, just, I have to process everything. That's just me. It takes 24 to 48 hours for me to process things as I hear them. So when you see me quiet and sitting in a corner and I'm writing notes down, it's not that I'm not listening, I'm just processing it. That's me. And so we know people how intelligent they are. We can also know what kind of mood you're in by the words that you use. My daughter loves to tell me, Dad, you need to go get something to eat because you're hangry. I'm hungry and I'm angry by the words. They, and I'm like, I'm not angry and I'm not hungry. And they have to remind me, yes, you are. My words and the way they're coming across is changing. It's not changing in my mind. They're hearing it come out a different way. And so I, I can tell by how people are, by the mood. Just by what the words that they say, not necessarily their actions, by the words that come out of your mouth. You can find out what mood you, are, mood you are in that particular time. Or you can know what a person's attitude is. By just what they say, you know what their attitude is. You can also know what a person believes in as you have a conversation with them. When that conversation turns to religion, how are they going, what, are they, what are you going to say to people? You can tell people what you believe and why you believe it. And then it will also tell you how mature you are by your speech. That's what Timothy, Paul was trying to tell Timothy. I want you to be an example in your speech to the believers. Let them see how mature you really are. Let them see through the way you speak, Timothy, how mature you are. Thirdly, your words that come out of you should come out in a manner that you choose. Your words that you say should come out in a manner that you choose. Be careful as to how you say things to others. Be careful how you say things to others. 
Your words will leave an impact on them. Do you ever stop before you think about what the effect of your words were going to have on others before you say them? If you did, you might not say them at all. You know, what's that, that old wives' tale or whatever it is um, that, uh, that talks about um, uh, opening your mouth and, and then, you know, how ignorant you are? You know, think about it and then open your mouth and people will understand how ignorant you are. I can't remember how it goes. But that's what we do in our life. We don't think about these things because we don't really care about what impact we're going to tell somebody else. And you should. We should set an example for other people to follow. We should set an example for other people to follow. In our lives, no matter what, you're, you're hitting a, a nail and you got a hammer in your nail and you're hitting it and all of a sudden you miss the head of the nail and you hit your hand. You all are laughing because you all know what you're going to say. You know? I have I've been fortunate. I've been really good. Not all the time, but I've been fortunate. And I, I'll hit it and I'll go, oh, that hurt. I was putting up blinds that I had gotten for Kathleen for Valentine's Day. We needed blinds in our front window. I had ordered her blinds. They came in and I was putting them up yesterday. And I was having a difficult time because everything that I do in our house, because it was made in 1950, seems like it's going to not do the way I want it to do. And so I'm up there and I'm trying to hammer in these, these anchors. And yesterday I hit my thumb on the way up. And this entire message came to my mind. And Ferline was visiting us, and I had hit it, and it, you know, you could tell when you're hitting, you're hammering, and then all of a sudden, it, you know, you're hammering, and that didn't sound right, you know, because it, and that's what happened. I go, ooh, that hurt. You know, and then somebody said, oh, you're bleeding. Yeah, yeah, okay, I was bleeding a little bit. But I wanted to make sure that I did not say anything that was inappropriate. Our speech is God's gift to us. For one purpose, and that is to glorify him. That is why we are here. It is to glorify God through our speech. Sin has distorted our speech. It has distorted it so much that we don't even recognize a person who claims to be a child of God and the world. We talk just like him. We say things just like them because we want to be accepted by them. I don't know about you. I don't care about being accepted by the world. I care about being accepted by God. My speech to them does not matter. My speech to God does matter. And if I want them to be a part of the heavenly kingdom, then my speech needs to reflect God. Because I don't know who I might come in contact with. Because non-Christians, when they hear a Christian talk, they think to themselves, they're no different than I am. There's nothing special about them. Why should I become a Christian? They just act like me and do the same things I do. This week, I hope that you will focus on what you need to say. 
Let your speech be different. Let others hear it differently. When you go around this week, I'm hoping that your workplace, they will hear a different tone from you. Let them see Jesus through your speech this week. Set the example. Be the example in your speech. Paul tells Timothy, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, God, these things are so important. When you told Timothy to set that example, to be the example, your first thing out of your mouth was in your speech because you knew that that was the most important. That was the thing that was going to let people know just how mature or immature that Timothy was. And so, Father, we have failed. Multiple times we have failed. God, help us this week to do what we need to do, to be the people that we need to be for you. Let our lips glorify you. Let our thoughts glorify you. Let our speech glorify you this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.